Matthew 5, verse 27. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thy shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off, and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. May we pray. Our precious Lord, as I bow before you today, I thank you for the privilege to preach your word. Thank you for the honor. Thank you, Lord, for these that have gathered here today. Lord, help me to be a help and a blessing. I pray that I'd have the words to say and the power of God would be upon those words and you'd meet the need of every heart. Save that soul that's without Christ and revive the hearts of your people. In the name of Jesus, I do pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to talk to you a little while on the window of the soul. You know, the ability to see is a marvelous gift that God has bestowed upon us. I was listening to a program recently, and they were talking about the eye and the, the amazing thing, the eye, uh, that we really see with our brain. <laughs> the eye is just the, uh, the, the part that allows the light to come in. Uh, God has given us five senses, touch, sight, hearing, taste, and smell, but most people would agree that sight is probably the most treasured of all the gifts. And uh, the eyes, more than any other part of the body, reveal what is in the heart. It has been said, if the lips say one thing and the eyes say another, believe the eye. Look in a person's eyes. It will tell you a lot. Uh, they have a machine, they say now, that can measure the reactions of the eye. It is more reliable than the lie detector, more reliable than other tests uh, to determine if a person is telling the truth or not. The eye is the window of the soul. It is a blessing to be able to see. But that that is a blessing can be a curse as is given to us in the text that I read to you. He said in verse 29, If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Now that will be a terrible thing to pluck one's eye out, and yet the Bible said if that would be the thing that stands between a soul and becoming a child of God, that it's certainly better than going to hell. So uh, the eye could be a curse as well as a blessing. In 1 John 2, it is mentioned as one of the three things that, that is a problem for man. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world, the Bible tells us. Notice with me some things about this eye, the wind of the soul. We find that it was just a look 
that led to the fall in the Garden of Eden. Uh, let's turn back to Genesis briefly there in Genesis chapter 3. And uh, we'll remind, be reminded of the reason we have sickness. We have a list of sick people. Uh, the reason that uh, we are all getting old and death is upon us. The trail of death is handling us all. And it all started in a beautiful garden. If man had not sinned against God, we would not be upon an earth that is cursed by sin and death, but we would be in a, 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 an earth like the Garden of Eden. Would never have been sick a day in our life and would never grow a day older as we live our life. Sin has cursed us and ruined us and ruined that that God created for man. When, man, when God created the earth and the heavens in Genesis 1 and 2 there, the Bible said that he looked on what he had created and he said it was very good. God did a wonderful job. And he put man in, in everything that man could ever desire was at his fingertips. Now we have to labor and fight the bugs and fight disease and fight this and that to survive. But God did not intend for life to be like it is, that we fight the battles with disease and all these things, and it's a struggle just to live, to stay alive upon this earth, and we have to battle these things. Just think of what man lost. Uh, he lost this beautiful Garden of Eden here in Genesis 3 and the devil comes to Eve and, and uh, lies to her and deceives her. And verse 5 says, For God doth know that in, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. Ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. <clears throat> That's the basic problem that stands between man and God. Uh, is, is that uh, idolatrous attitude really, uh, that unwillingness to submit to the authority of God in our life, to invite Jesus Christ to come into our heart, into our life, and say, Lord, you can run things. I turn it over to you. That's not an easy decision to make, is it? But boy, I'll tell you, he does such a much, be he does such a much better job than we could ever do. <laughs> Uh, most people who try to run their own life use and make a mess of it. But I tell you, the Lord knows how to do it. Now, he, he tells us in verse 6 and 7, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, notice, she saw the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat and the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Now, what was it that caused her to be led astray? She saw it was pleasant to the eyes. That window of the soul, through the eye gate, the devil ruined Adam and Eve. And through the eye gate, he ruins many other lives. So it brought the curse of sin and death Upon us all in Romans 5, 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We have all followed the footsteps of Adam, and we're all cursed by the same curse. 
And we know that, and it's upon us. And the only hope is to take the, take the way out, the way of escape that God provided through Christ Jesus, our wonderful Lord. But uh, we look at the curse upon the whole creation. It's everywhere. You know, as you, as you fly over the earth, it's beautiful. But when you get down upon it and examine it closely, everything's cursed. From the smallest shrub to the tallest tree, it's all under the curse. And the Bible says thorns and thistles would it bring forth there. And man would have to fight the, uh, with the sweat of his face. And boy, I'll tell you, it's been easy to sweat lately, hasn't it? With all this uh, hot weather we've had, but it won't be long till it'll be cold. And we'll be saying, oh, I wish it'd warm up. Uh, but uh, all of this is because of the curse. Uh, just a look through the eye gate, man fell into sin. Then also, just a look has led great men into sin. I think of the story of Lot there, and we'll turn to Genesis chapter uh, 13 as an illustration. In Genesis chapter 13, of course, uh, if you read chapter 12 of Genesis, God had told Abram, he said, I want you, I want you to leave your country I want you to leave you people. I want you to go to a land that I'll show you. And uh, Abram went out, uh, not knowing whither he went, the Bible says, and he took Lot with him. They began to prosper. They, they both became very wealthy uh, in cattle and all that, and, and the land was not able to bear them. And Abraham, being the man that he was, the type of man he was, he says to Lot, Lot, uh, we are kindred and we don't want uh, conflict between us. If you take the right hand, I'll take the left. If you take the left, I'll take the right. I, I, I give you the choice. And uh, the Bible says in verse 10 of Genesis 13, And Lot lifted up his eyes. There we have the eyes again. Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as I comest unto Zor. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Now, Lot uh, was given this choice. Uh, he, he looked at the valley. He saw the good water supply. He saw all that green grass. He saw those dollar signs in his eyes. He thought, my, my cattle will get fat. I'll become richer and richer. And I don't think really, I don't think Lot meant to go to Sodom initially. You know, nobody, you take a yearbook and they'll, they'll usually have in that yearbook, uh, uh, you know, what direction sometimes each student may, may be taking. And it usually never turns out the way it's predicted. But no one ever says, you know my ambition in life, I, I, want, I want to be a murderer or I want to be a, a drunkard. That's what I want to turn out to be. I want to ruin my life. No one ever plans to do that, just like Lot didn't plan to go to Sodom, I don't believe. But the Bible says in verse 12 of Genesis Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. 
But the men of Sodom are wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. But Lot didn't consider that. But that ought to have been the main consideration that he had. What kind of influence is this going to have on me and my family? And you, of course, if you study the story, the story continues. And the Bible said in 2 Peter that he vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Lot was a saved man. But the, the effects of those sinners in Sodom had an effect upon, upon Lot. B.R. Lincoln said, if you lie down with the dogs, you're going to get up with the fleas. A simple way of saying, you know, you're going to become like the people you run with, like the people you associate with. And it was, it was through the eye gate that Lot was led astray. And if you study, continue the story, you find him in Sodom. He's taken a position in this city. And, he, you know, he's warned there. He goes, he goes to his, when the angel of the Lord comes down and tells him he's, God's going to burn Sodom and Gomorrah there and, uh, and he warns his son-in-laws son of what the Lord's going to do. And the Bible said he seemed as one that mocked to them. They thought, Lord, you must be joking. You say the Lord's over at your house. And those son-in-laws burned up in Sodom. And you have Lot there in a the cave with his daughters being made drunk by his own daughters and fathering children by his own daughters. How low can a man get? You say, you mean a saved man could do that? All I know is what the Bible said. The Bible said he vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Well, a person can be led into terrible sin by the, by the eyes, the wind of the soul. Then I think of the story of David. In 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 2, when the army was away at war, David was, was home. And he walked on the, on the roof of his house. And, of course, in that part of the country, even today, you have the flat-roofed houses. And, and he, he, he walked on the roof of his house, and he saw a woman washing herself. And she was beautiful to look upon. And man is influenced by his eyes. And Jesus here said, he said, You've heard it said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. He said, I say, if you look to lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And David was a man after God's own heart, the Bible says. David loved God. He was the one that killed Goliath, you remember. He was the one that wrote most of the Psalms, Psalm 23, that beloved Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And that, that is loved by people worldwide. David did that. A man that loved God, a man that knew God, but a man of flesh and blood just like the rest of us. And a man that was led astray through the wind of his soul and he saw and lusted and took and sent for the woman and committed immorality with another man's wife. But then there were complications as there always are. You cannot sin and get by. God says, Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He also says, Be sure your sin will find you out. 
And David, uh, she sent to David and said, David, I'm expecting a child. Now what's David going to do? His, her husband is away at war. Cannot be her husband's child. He thinks about it and he thinks about it and he sends word to his, to his uh, general, to Joab. He says, uh, send, send uh, Bathsheba's husband home. Send Uriah home. He sends Uriah home and he converses with Uriah and said, you can go home now and be with your wife. And, and uh, David thinks, I'll cover this thing up. Nobody will ever find out. And Uriah, of course, would not, uh, would not go home. Tells you what kind of man he was. He slept in the street and, uh, and then David tries to make him drunk further to try to get him to go home and he, he still don't go home and so David sits down and writes a letter to, to his captain there and, and uh, uh, tells him he said now I want you to set Uriah in the forefront of the battle then I want you to withdraw from him how low can you sink in other words put him up there in the heat of the battle and then when they start to, when they they start shooting at you then uh, with the arrows and the stones and all that. Says you, and then you withdraw from him and let him get killed, basically. So it happens. You rise dead. David, the days of mourning take place, and David sends for Bathsheba, and, and uh, she comes, and he marries Bathsheba. Child's born. He got off. He got away with it, didn't he? Oh, he had it all nicely covered up. He's committed adultery. He's committed murder. And nobody knows. Except God. He always knows. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. And one day the man of God comes in to David and said, David, I need to speak to you. And he said, he said to Nathan the prophet, speak on. He said, I want to tell you a story, David. He said, there was a rich man. He had herds. He had great flocks. He was rich. He had all kind of animals. And there was a poor man. He had one little ewe lamb. And the little lamb... Uh, uh, grew up there uh, with the family. You can imagine, they tell me that a lamb will, you know, they, they really become a pet, even more than a dog or a cat or something. And this little ewe lamb grew up with the family there, and there was a traveler who came to the rich man and uh, says, the rich man went down to the poor man's house and got that little lamb, that little pet. I can visualize in my mind him going after that lamb and those kids are crying. Don't take our pet away. And that rich man goes and kills that lamb and serves his traveling friend. David becomes very angry. David becomes very upset, and rightly so. But Nathan said, David, you're the man. You're the rich man, David. He said, David, God knows what you've done. You, I took you from following the sheep. I took you from a nobody. 
I made you the king of Israel. I gave you riches. I gave you wives. I gave you all these things. And yet you went and took the only thing Uriah had and had him killed. He said, now David, you're going to have to pay. That child that was born, David loved that little boy. He said, David, your child's going to die. And David mourns and weeps, but he can't stop it. And he said, David, the sword will never depart from your house. You did it in secret. They'll take your eyes and do it openly. And his own son rebels against him. He had a son that raped his own sister, his half-sister. Absalom kills Amnon. Absalom steals the kingdom from David and from that day on David's life is nothing but one tragedy and one heartache after another. Listen, sin will cost you. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay and it'll cost you more than you want to pay. It isn't worth what it costs. And it all started with a look. It all started through the eye gate. He saw, he took. The lesson is, the lesson is, deal with it while it's still a thought. If you look and you desire, confess it before God as a sin, deal with it and say, Lord, I'm sorry, help me overcome this thing. If you don't do that, listen, you want to know why Jim Baker and Jimmy Swagger and other men fail? You know why they fail? They didn't deal with the thought. They didn't deal with the lust. And they fell into the other sin that ruined and destroyed them. This word lust means to desire greatly. Let me quickly move on. I need to hurry and get through here. Not only can it bring great sin, but thank God it can bring salvation. Isaiah 45, 22, Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. It was that verse, I understand, that brought uh, Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers, I guess, that, uh, that, that, in, that in our memory that we remember from England there. And it's said that Spurgeon uh, went to a little church, and it was a snowy time, and, and uh, there was just a handful of people there. The preacher couldn't even get there. It was so bad. Instead, a layman got up and read some scripture, and he read that scripture in Isaiah, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. And he went, went on in his, his everyday language and explained it and basically said, Anybody can look. All you have to do is basically, what he was saying is, All you have to do is trust Christ. Receive Christ. Let him do the work. And through that, God saved him. And he'll do the same for you today. I love the story in Numbers 21. For sake of time, we'll not turn to it, but in Numbers 21, the people began to murmur and complain against God and against the hardships they were going through. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among them. And the serpents began to bite the people, and the people began to die. And Moses began, he went to the Lord and interceded and said, Lord, help us! And the Lord said, Moses, I want you to take a serpent. I want you to make a serpent out of brass. 
I want you to put it on a pole. And when the snakes bite the people, if they look, if they look at that pole, that serpent on that pole there, they'll live. Now that was a strange thing, wasn't it? Can you imagine? Maybe here's a person gets snake bit. And uh, uh, maybe a neighbor says, you know, Moses made this serpent of brass and said, if you just look at it, that snake bite wouldn't hurt you. And they may say, oh, that's crazy. I don't believe that stuff. Look at what's that going to do for my snake bite looking at some brass serpent on a pole. You know the way of salvation. The Bible said the preaching of the gospel is foolishness to the world. They think, you tell me all I... I mean, I can, I can live a life of sin and do all kind of wicked things and all I have to do is bring them to Jesus Christ and he'll forgive me of every one of them and save me and give me eternal... you saying that's all I've got to do is exactly what I'm saying. In fact, that's all we can do. Jesus said that in John 3. He referred to this, John 3, 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What was the Lord? The Lord said, that serpent of brass was a picture of me hanging on a cross. They were not putting their trust in a, in a brazen serpent. They were putting their trust in that he represented in Christ Jesus who would go to a cross with our sins upon him. Just a look brings one to salvation. Just a look has brought one to healing. In Acts 3, verse 4, Peter and John there as they go up to the temple to pray, there's a lame man there asking an alms. And of course, to be lame, to be blind, or whatever in those days meant a life of begging. And they, they would carry him to the temple. And as people went in out of the temple or in out of church, as we would call them now, they'd give them something. And uh, Peter, the Bible says there in verse 4, Peter fastened his eyes upon him with John said, Look on us. And Peter said, Silver and gold have I none. Someone said he must have been a Baptist preacher. <laughs> Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And boy, that man felt something go through him that he had never experienced. <laughs> he cast aside his bag and garments and he rises up. He's immediately healed. Oh, he's leaping and praising God. He receives something far better than silver and gold, doesn't he? <laughs> He receives something far better than an offering. He receives his healing. I want to tell you today that Jesus is alive today. He doesn't make merchandise of it, but I'll tell you, he still has the power to heal. I believe that. And just through a look, as he fastened his eyes upon them in faith in the Lord, not faith in them, but faith in the Lord, they were wonderfully healed. Then let me close with uh, another illustration. Just a look has caused one to repent. You may need to be saved today, and if you will look to Christ, he'll save you. If you are saved and out of fellowship with God, you can be restored by looking to Christ. I love the story of Peter there. 
the Lord warned Peter, and uh, he says, uh, before the cock crow, you'll deny me three times. Peter said, Lord, though all men deny you, I'll not deny you. I'm ready to go with you to death. I'll die with you. Oh, but you won't, Peter. You know, it's easy that we sit today in an air-conditioned, comfortable pew. We can make, we can say, oh, I'll, I'd never deny Christ. We don't know what we'd do till we faced it. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. They come and arrest Jesus, take him there to examine him and to uh, bring false charges against him. Peter comes over there and begins to warm by the fire. And uh, they begin to say, why, you're, you're one of them. You're a disciple. You're, you're, you follow Jesus. He said, no. No, not me. He's afraid now. And three times he denies even cussing and swearing. I don't know him. And the cock crows. And I want to read to you in Luke 22, 61 and 62. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him before the cock crow, Thy shall deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Oh, Peter remembered. You know, Peter, we criticize him a lot, but I kind of like Peter. Oh, yes, he made some bad mistakes, but he knew how to get right with God. He went out and wept bitterly. And I'm glad we have a God of the second change. You say, I tried and I failed, but you can start over. God of the second chance. On the day of Pentecost, who was it that preached that great sermon that 3,000 were saved? None other than Peter, the one who had just denied him three times. But he got his heart right with God. He went out and wept bitterly and got right with God, and the Lord forgave him and restored him and cleansed him. Hardest thing in the world is to get people to completely and totally trust. You know what he says? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Believe. Believe means to trust, to rely upon, to depend upon. And I can say without, without any hesitation at all that my hope of heaven this morning is 100% relying and trusting in Jesus Christ. The fact I'm a preacher, the fact I try to live right, won't buy me one minute in heaven. I have no more right to heaven than any other born-again child of God in this building. I'm going to heaven for one reason. Nearly 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus Christ hung on a cross with my sin upon him and God judged him instead of me. And he paid for my sin in full and by faith in him I have eternal life. That's my hope. 
That's the only hope any of us have of heaven. Service uh, will earn rewards, but heaven is bought and paid for by Jesus Christ.